Good morning. Next Sunday is Easter, and uh, you might be able to get some people to come to church with you who would not come on a regular Sunday. Uh, so uh, have at it. Yeah, go get them. Would you stand with me? And let's read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life that's in your word and the light that is in your word. I pray that our eyes would be open, that our ears would be, would be open, that our hearts would be soft to be changed so that you can mold us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, well, there it is. 1988. Of course, that's me. Couple of changes. I no longer comb my hair down. And I'm wearing glasses. But aside from that, some things never change. <laughs> yeah, quit laughing. Uh, July the 3rd, 1988, which would have been a few weeks, just a few weeks after this, this photograph was made, I uh, preached my first sermon as the pastor here at, uh, at this church. And uh, it was, uh, guess out of what chapter? Ephesians chapter 4. Because if you're going to have a church, if you're going to be a church, then it's a pretty good idea to actually see what the Bible has to say about what a church is and how it works and, and, and what, what makes it work, what puts it together. And so uh, I think this is probably this is the third or fourth time that I've revisited this since then because every six or eight years we need to refresh our memories, remind ourselves about, uh, about that. The church in a worldly sense is an institution. Um, we, uh, we are incorporated, uh, with the state of Tennessee. We've got our tax exempt stuff. We've got our 501c3 with the federal government, uh, and all that stuff. So, because we want to be accountable, you know, we want to be accountable because God's people should be accountable in the things that they do. But in reality, the church is not an institution. We call it that, but that's not what the Bible calls it. In reality, the church is a body. It's a body and it's a bride. It's the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. The two become one flesh. 
And this passage right here defines, more than any other passage in Scripture, defines the workings of Christ's church. And he starts out by talking about some of the leaders in the church, and I say some of them because these aren't the only ones, but there, there are five specific leadership positions mentioned here, uh, and their reason for being is the same as the reasons for all of the leadership positions in the church. I want to quickly look at these. It's not because they're necessarily more important or more special than others, but let's quickly look at them. The first one is, uh, is this term apostle. And, um, you know, that in some, in some areas, in some um, areas, that's not the right place. In some uh, groups, uh, the word is not even used. It, it, it doesn't exist anymore. In other groups, it's kind of tossed around and used way more frequently than it probably ought to be used. Uh, let me just say this. Technically, uh, in general... Every one of you is an apostle because an apostle is a sent one, someone who represents someone else or something else when they come into a situation. Uh, and so whenever you go to work or whenever you go to school or, or your home or wherever you may happen to be, you are a representative of Jesus Christ if you belong to him. You're, you're a sent one. You, you've been sent to do that. So in that sense, in a very general sense, we're all apostles, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. What Paul's talking about here is, is a more uh, specific calling than that. And uh, let me tell you what an apostle is in the way that Paul is talking. An apostle is someone who plants churches, who starts churches, and maintains a relationship with them afterwards. That's that's what apostle is in this particular sense. Now, <clears throat> Paul adds a little more about apostles over in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. And uh, to some degrees, it kind of muddies the water. It, it says, I per persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. And because of this reason, a, a lot of people say, well, there aren't apostles anymore because there aren't any signs and wonders and miracles. And, you know, I, that's okay. Uh, I think Ernie would feel differently about that, uh, at least from what he had to say today. And, uh, and the truth of the matter is, uh, people don't think they're miracles because they've never seen one. But really, almost everybody has seen miracles. They just didn't know what they were looking at when they saw it. You get right down to it. Um, Signs and wonders and miracles are pretty much always going to be controversial, okay? Uh, but I can assure you that there are people in this world today who have started a number of churches and maintained a relationship with those churches, and those people are apostles, whether they carry that title or not. When we went to Zimbabwe, the man that, uh, uh, that we went to work with is a man named Ezekiel Goody. And Ezekiel had over a million people in over a thousand churches. Now, you've never heard of him. Heaven's heard of him. But he was an apostle. Uh, now, he didn't start every single one of those churches. He started a lot of them. And his sons in the faith and daughters in the faith started, started the others. Clopas Chitapa, who comes here uh, every year, uh, Lord willing, at least he has for quite a few years, and speaks. 
Uh, Clopas has quite a number of churches in various different countries of the world. He maintains a relationship with him. Now, I've never heard Clopas call himself an apostle, but my brothers and sisters, the man's an apostle. That's, that's what he is in the body of Christ. So that's, that's one of the things that Paul's talking about here. And then he also, uh, he mentions prophets. A prophet is, is simply someone who brings the word of the Lord. And so in a sense, anyone who teaches uh, about, about Christ or anyone who brings the Bible, uh, in a sense, is bringing the word of the Lord and, and is a prophet. But historically, and I think that that's really what Paul is referring to here, historically, prophets would, would speak to particular times, to particular situations and things that were going on. Isaiah and, and, and Jeremiah, I'm trying to get my little thing up back here because I didn't want to walk around with a tail. Uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, now those are, those are prophets that most of you have heard of, and they had, they had specific words for their times. In Isaiah's day, um, uh, Jerusalem, well, Judah was invaded by Assyria, and Jerusalem was surrounded by the Assyrian armies, and, and Judah had virtually all been taken over, and they went to the prophet Isaiah to say, what should we do? And what he said was, what you should do is you just need to be still and watch God do something. And that's what happened. Uh, God delivered the city. Now, in Jeremiah's day, the Babylonians invaded the land, and they're surrounding the city, and they, and, they, and they go to the prophet, and they say, what should we do? And Jeremiah says, you need to go out and surrender to Nebuchadnezzar. That's what God has told you to do. And they refused to do that, and utter destruction came upon them because of that. And also because there were other prophets saying, no, we need to not surrender. But they weren't from God. There are always other prophets. That's one of the problems with, with the prophet thing. Ezekiel was one of the first ones from Judah who was taken into captivity in, in, in Babylonia. And he spoke to the situation. He said, hey guys, need to build houses, plant vineyards, work for the prosperity of the place where you are because we're going to be here for a while. And other prophets were saying, no, no, we're going home. The Lord's going to deliver us. In, within two years, we'll be back home. Uh, Ezekiel said, no, this is, this is God's word for this situation. And all of them spoke uh, in general to, uh, uh, to um, they spoke in general to corruption and greed and, and things that were going on. Prophets still exist. Uh, there are some today. Two of my favorites of my lifetime, and I say contemporaries, one of them is no longer with us. Two of my favorites are Keith Green and Steve Taylor. Uh, and those of you who are old enough to remember Keith Green, uh, he died in a, in a plane crash quite a few years ago. But uh, the man was a prophet. He was a, uh, yeah, he wrote songs, but he had a prophetic voice to the church. And if you've never heard the song Asleep in the Light, you need to go Google that thing or, or get on YouTube and hear Asleep in the Light because it is, it is a word to the church, not just for his day, but for now. And it wasn't just that he spoke to the church. Sometimes he would, he would write things and say things that would be a prophetic word for the hearts of individuals. He might not call out names. You know, he, he might not go, Jesse, this is for you. But... Whenever you'd hear a song that would say, my eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold. 
And I know how I ought to be. Alive to you. Dead to me. What can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you and your spirit of love. Wash me anew in the wine of your blood. And there would be individuals, myself at times, who would hear that and it would choke right to the heart. The word of God for that moment. Uh, Steve Taylor was, was, a, was a little more, had, had sort of a lighter touch, uh, but no less important. Uh, and he would, bring, he would bring a word to the church. My, I think probably my favorite one that he would bring to the church in general was, was one of his very first ones called, I want to be a clone. I'd gone through so much other stuff that walking down the aisle was tough, and now I find that's not enough. I want to be a clone. Their language, it was new to me, but Christianese got through to me. Now I can speak it fluently. I want to be a clone. (laughs) And what he was basically saying is you are turning this thing into a a manufactured situation rather than a relationship with the living God. If you'll look this way and talk this way and do these things, then you're a believer. There's no life there. It's dead. It's dead. And then he would also, one of my favorites that he spoke individually to a people, oh, sin for a season was, was really good too, but uh, steeplechase, it's a steeplechase. Blame your failures on churches where you've gone steeplechase. Ice cold Christian fakes turn to frosted flakes. Yeah, serial killers. Okay. Two important notes about prophets. Because now we tend to, in, in, in the charismatic camp, Pentecostal camp, we tend to think of prophets as the person who comes in each year and, and goes, Debbie, I have a, a, a word for you. Or uh, the, you know, the, the, the lady in the pink blouse. Is there some lady here in a pink blouse? Come up here. I have, have something to, to, to say to you. Two things. Because that can be okay. I mean, it's a little showy for me, for my taste. It, it just is. But... It can be legitimate, and certainly legitimate words have been given, but two things. Number one, if if somebody gives you a word like that, write it down. Because the scripture says that if a prophet comes and what that prophet says does not come to pass, they're not from the Lord. And so when they come next year, and and they say, well, I want to talk to the lady in the green blouse. The lady in the pink blouse can say, You know, what you said didn't happen. Of course, what's usually said is fairly general, but I mean, sometimes it's quite specific. And and then then one other thing, if what they say doesn't line up with the word of God, got to be in line with the word of God. It's got to point you toward Jesus. If it points you toward something else, then that's not somebody that the Lord has sent. Of course, you have to know the word of God, but it's available. Uh, one other, well, three other actually, evangelists. Now, in the same way that I said that we're all actually apostles, we're all actually evangelists. We've all been called to share the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, but some have a specific anointing for it. Some have a, a specific calling for it. Uh, and I've, I've, I've mentioned this before that... Um, you know, when it comes to services, it's like when, when I get up and teach or preach or whatever it is I'm doing, 
you know, then usually at the end I'll say, does anybody need prayer? You know, come forward. And, you know, some people come forward. Uh, when Barbie gets up, she says, come cry. They all come and cry. That's what happens. When, uh, when the evangelist gets up and says, come to Jesus, they all come to Jesus. You know, it's just, that's just how it is. That's the anointing that they have. But we tend to think of evangelists in terms of a big uh, rally or a big gathering or a big meet, a meeting or something like that. That's not where most evangelism happens. Most evangelism happens on a personal one-on-one basis. And there are people who really have that. They just walk around, you know, and run into folks and say, Hi, how you doing? Uh, do you know Jesus? You know, and, and two minutes later, they're leading them in a sinner's prayer or something. They're just it's coming in. And, and the thing is, you, you talked to them last week and said exactly the same thing. <laughs> Nothing happened. Well, actually, some seed probably got planted is actually what happened. But there's some, there's some people who just have that gift of harvesting. That's what, that's what that anointing and that, and that call is that's, that's on their life. But I, I will say this, m- most people who have that gift don't even know that they're evangelists. All they know is they walk around and people get saved. But they are. They're evangelists. And then, and then the fourth one that he, uh, that he mentions is, uh, is a pastor. And a pastor pastor's a shepherd. Uh, the last two years that we were in Zimbabwe, the church that we attended there, um, Northside uh, uh, Community Church, uh, Ian Wilshire was a pastor, and Ian, Ian, I, I, I said in the first service uh, mistakenly, I, I said that he was a terrible teacher. No, he was not a terrible teacher. What he brought was was really good, and it was always sound, and it was always solid, and it was always hard to stay awake through. <laughs> you know, it just flatline, uh, and so. He wasn't a particularly good speaker. He wasn't a particularly good motivator. He was a wonderful pastor. He was a wonderful pastor. He knew his flock. He took care of his people. He, he, he did his job. And, and having grown up in a pastor's home, it blew me away when we first went there because when I found out he was the pastor. Because it took me a while to find out. But when I found out he was the pastor, uh, see, this, uh, Peter uh, was the one who would, who would speak almost every week. Ian didn't, and, and I thought, wow, this guy is so secure in his calling that he doesn't have to be the one, he doesn't have to be the voice that everybody's hearing every week. And I went, I, I, I'm impressed with that. I really am, because you see, uh, a, a pastor should know their flock, and not only do they protect them, but they need to see to it that they're well-nourished. And Ian, rather than having to be the guy, would rather his flock be well-nourished by somebody who had a strong gift of teaching. That's, that's a pastor. Now, the pastor may also be a teacher, and hopefully yours is. But if, 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 if he or she isn't, then they need, to, they need to see to it that somehow the flock gets nourished. And l- let me... <coughs> Let me say this about this this term shepherd because uh, I don't think there are places where it is as strong as it used to be. But there used to be this this thing called shepherding 
uh, it was kind of a movement in the body of Christ. And it was a situation where you went to a particular church and you had a shepherd and, and any, any important decision or maybe even not so important decision, you'd take it to your shepherd and your shepherd would tell you what to do. And that and what a shepherd does, you know, uh, the, sh- the shepherd doesn't tell the sheep, you know, eat that grass, don't eat that, you know, oh, you know, stay away from that. Yeah. No, that's not, the, the shepherd cares for and protects, but doesn't tell them what to do. I mean, sheep are dumb. They're going to do anything they want to do. Let's go wandering off. Now, I'm not saying that you all are dumb. You're, you're actually people. Would you turn to someone close to you and say, you don't look like a sheep at all? You're a person. Okay, that, I'm glad. All right, stop. stop. <laughs> See, I told you. I, I mean, I couldn't tell y'all what to do if I tried, and I do try sometimes. Uh, okay, and then one more. Teacher. Um. And, you know, being a teacher, it's, it's a cool thing, and, and people, people like being a teacher and dispensing knowledge uh, to others. Uh, oftentimes, though, we just kind of blow by uh, what James has to say about this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Mm. Just, just something to think about. As you get ready to dispense knowledge to others. Nevertheless, if you've got a desire to teach and are gifted in that area, or even if you're not all that gifted, but you've got a desire and you can actually be a faithful person, then you are a gift to the body of Christ. And you don't need to take that and hide it under a bushel somewhere. You need to bring it out. The body of Christ needs you. They need you to do that. And let me also say that the most influential, the most effective teachers in this body are not the ones who stand on this stage. You know, because I'll tell you something and or Barbie will tell you something or, or Bruce and, you know, and afterwards it's, that's, that was great pastor. And, and you know what it was, it, that, that was great. And then, but by Monday, it's also gone. It's great and it's gone. The most influential teacher I ever had in my life from the word, for the word of God was Dovey Ray when I was six and seven years old in the beginner class. Because you tell a six or seven year old something about Jesus and they just soak it up and it stays. And it bears fruit for their entire life. And they'll come home and go, Daddy, did you know that David killed a big old giant named Goliath? Yeah, yeah, I knew that, son. And did you know that he, that he did it with a, with a sling and a stone? Yeah, yeah, I think I remember. Did you know there were five stones? No, really. Yeah, and you know that he cut his head off with a sword? Really? You know, and, and the truth of the matter is, you know, Daddy forgot that. Didn't, but, but the six-year-old knows it. Because that's a very effective place to teach. Now, uh, just let me, before I uh, move off of this, 
Some of you have heard me share this before. Some of you have heard other people share it. Uh, the analogy doesn't completely hold up, but the analogy of these, these five ministries with a hand, uh, the apostle being the thumb because it works with all of the others, um, the, the prophet being the, the index finger because that's the one that you point things out with, uh, the evangelist being uh, the middle finger because it's the longest, it's the one that reaches out. Uh, to others, the the pastor being uh, uh, the covenant finger, which would be the ring finger, uh, being in covenant with the body of Christ, and then the teacher <clears throat> being the little finger, because that's the only one that you're able to clean your ear out with. <laughs> and that's my favorite one. That that one, that one holds up pretty well. But you know what? The prophet ought to be. And all of them ought to be able to clean your ears out. But the, the teacher, for sure. Now, don't despair if you're not one of these. Because there are other important gifts and necessary, needful gifts in the body of Christ. Over in Romans 12, 6 through 8, says, we have, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If, if it is serving then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I had a, well, still have a a good friend named Tim McLaughlin and, uh, Tim went to his wife one day and said, you know, I think, I think my gift in the body of Christ is encouragement. And, <laughs> and Sharon said, no such gift. Uh, and Tim said, yes, there is. And, you know, showed it to her in the Bible. And, you know, like a good obedient wife, she said, well, yeah, yeah I see it. It's right there. Uh, if, if Tim and God say it's so, then it must be so. And, yeah, you really are. And, and he really was. He's an encourager. Now, listen. I've said that the most important quality in a home is kindness. If a home has kindness in it, it will endure. If it doesn't have kindness, it can have a whole lot of other stuff, and it's just a miserable place to be. Imagine the body of Christ. Imagine a church where there's no encouragers. You know, when there's no where there's nobody who's who's bringing that. That, that word of refreshing in that season of drought to you. That's, that's important. Uh, mercy. There, there, we got enough people who, we got enough people to correct. We need some more mercy givers. You know, and, and, and not only that, uh, leading actually the King James uses the word administration in it. Uh, if, if, if your gift is administration, you know, and some people may go, well, I, you know, I, I don't know, administration, yeah, I can kind of organize things and put them together. You are needed. You don't know how many people can't organize anything. I, I, I said this off the cuff in the first service, and I told Barbie, I better not say it in a second, but I'm going to anyway. One of the greatest gifts that God has given to this body is Hal Laughlin. He has a gift of administration. Now, yeah, some of you know how, and you're clapping. Some of, some of you don't know because, you know, we get all excited about administration. Uh, 
But, you know, and, and I can administrate fairly well, but, I mean, he's got an anointing for it. And Hal and I don't always see things eye to eye, uh, but usually we'll come to a place. But if we don't, I'm totally comfortable going, okay, I'll defer to you. You kind of go, well, you're the senior pastor. Yeah, but he's got the gift of administration. You see? And if, you, if you've got these gifts, they're needed. You, you use them, and, and these aren't the only ones, but these are some. Now, I've got I to hurry on. All of these gifts are for the body of Christ to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We don't have apostles so that the body of Christ may be built up. We don't have evangelists so that the body of Christ may be built up, or prophets so that the body of Christ may be built up. We have these so that God's people will perform the works of service and that causes the body of Christ to be built up. That's, that's where, that's where the, it actually happens. That's where the heavy lifting gets done. Uh, the goals. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. There's that word again, unity. We, t- we talked about it last week. Unity in the faith. Not unity in what we wear, not unity in, in how we look, not unity in, in where we stand on every issue. All these things will pass away. But unity in the faith, until we all reach that, becoming mature. Over the course of my life, my uh, political perspectives have changed several times. And some people might say, well, you, you're, you're wishy-washy. No, I'm an independent. That's what I am. Uh, finally, finally discovered that. When I, but I have a picture, and I was going to put it up here, but it's apparently up in the attic somewhere, and I didn't want to fall through into the garage. And, uh, and it was cold, so I just didn't go up there and get it. But uh, when I was 10 years old, uh, and my school picture had, I had a big button on that said, if I were 21, I'd vote for Nixon. And then when I turned 21, I didn't. So those of you who have the history and political cumin can do the math and, and figure all that out. So, you know, they've kind of changed. But here's the deal. When I was in my teens, when I was in my 20s, even up, on up into my 30s, I simply could not understand how anybody with any sense and any integrity whatsoever could disagree with my positions <laughs> on things. I mean, seriously, what is wrong with these people? It's very clear. But by my 60s, I, I totally get it. You know, I've become mature enough to understand some things that I didn't get when I was a younger person. Hey, guys. You don't get stupider the older you get. You get smarter. I mean, you really do. And I know that that's hard to believe because, you know, when I was, when I was a teenager, I mean, old people just don't get it, right? I mean, they don't know what's going on. They don't know what's happening. They don't know what we're going through. They're, they're like last decade or something. But there are some, there is some wisdom that actually endures beyond a decade and beyond a century, beyond a millennium. And, it, and maturity, maturity is how you get there. 
We, we need to grow in, a, in the faith in a way that becomes mature in a healthy way, not giving up the essentials of the faith. That those, those, are not, those are not up for, for consideration. Those aren't on the table, okay? But learning to build bridges instead of building walls, that's, that's what maturity does for you. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is a group endeavor. You, no individual can attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You can't. I can't. It doesn't say, and uh, you know, uh, uh, until you attain to the full measure of the body of Christ. It's speaking collectively here. This is only something that can be done as a group, because the whole measure of the fullness of Christ is much too much. For just one person. And the results are these. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there. And, and notice that he doesn't, you know, when, when we hear a phrase like the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, we tend to think that, well, that's the goal, but in the sweet by and by, it's impossible to ever happen here. Then, once that happens, he, he's expecting it to happen. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Make no mistake, the, the waters in which, we, in which we wade and in which we swim are infested with sharks. It is not benign out there. In fact, it's often not benign in, in the church either. It gets right down to it. There's there's, there's stuff to beware of, stuff to be dangerous of. And when someone starts out in the faith, they, they, they can be easy pickings. You know, people who are older in the faith can be easy pickings as well. We need new believers, okay? I mean, we need them because they bring, they bring an enthusiasm, they bring a perspective. They, just as youth, old people need youth because, yes, they do get old and they do get kind of stuck in their ways. But, so we do need new believers, but what happens is often people get saved, and instead of getting mature, they just get old. Oh, look, the first service got that even better than you guys, and there weren't <laughs> half of them here. Often, instead of getting mature, they just get old. And they've lost their youthful enthusiasm. And they've not grown up in the faith. Oftentimes, even to be able to know what the faith is, they haven't invested the time in the Word of God. They haven't invested the, the, the relationship and time in, in walking this out with, with some fellow believers. They, they just simply got saved and then became a clone. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ, speaking the truth in love. There really is no other way to speak the truth. If it's not in love, it's not the truth. Just, just saying. And when the truth is, you know, it's so much easier to give your own opinion than it is to than it is to love people. Yeah. And, and so oftentimes, I mean, every, not everything that I 
that I think is the truth. And I know a lot of truth, but not everything that I think is the truth. Sometimes I'm wrong. I think, I think there was a time back in... <laughs> you'll have to ask Margaret. But when the truth is spoken in love, we grow, we get better. Uh, when I was in, in, in college, the first play that I did on a, on a large stage, I've got a pretty good set of lungs. Uh, you know, without this microphone, obviously I couldn't speak to anybody on the internet or anything, but I could fill this room up. Uh, you know, I can do that. And the first, the first play that I was in, I, uh, we didn't have microphones or anything, and I wanted to be sure that I was going to be heard. You know, and so, bam, you know, out there, really big. Went, yeah, boy. And Mrs. Tucker, who was uh, the director of the theater, uh, she was she was just she was just this this sweet Southern lady. And uh, and after I came down from one scene, she said, oh, "Can I talk with you?" And and so you know, I, I came over to talk with her. You know, I was I was kind of hoping to hear. You know, I should have given you a bigger role. But uh, that wasn't what she said. What she said was, when was the last time you had your ears checked? (laughs) Yeah. And I got the point. You know, I got it. And because I got it, I was a lot better at what I did. I, I would not have grown in what I was doing if she hadn't spoken the truth to me in love. We don't always want to hear it. Uh, most of the time we want to hear, I should have given you a bigger part. <laughs> but when your spouse, your parents... Tell you things, your friends, tell you things you need to hear because they love you. Then if you receive that, you grow and, and, you, and you, you become better. And sometimes the truth isn't always stuff that you don't want to hear. Sometimes, sometimes the, the, the truth is good news. Do you know how beautiful you are? You know, if you, I think if, You know, I don't know about girls everywhere else, but if the girls in our youth group knew how beautiful they are, the boys wouldn't stand a chance. You would never listen to a lie from one of the boys. Because, you know, for for a boy to come along and go, oh, you're so beautiful, you you could just say, well, thank you, I know that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. Y'all are good looking. Just, just saying, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm old. I'm not messing with you. I'm just telling you the truth <laughs> in love. Somebody to come along. Do you, do you, do you know what God has put inside? you? Do you know what I see that, that gift that God has given to you? You know, when, when you, when you, when you say this, when you sing, when you pray, do you know how much that blesses everyone around you? I mean, that, that's speaking the truth in love as well. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. and grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And that's, that's the key. 
Each part does its work. You've got a part to play. I need you. I need you. And, and the people that you look around and sit with, they need you. And whether you know it or not, you need them. You know, it's not just, well, I, you know, I go to that church because that preacher is so good. He's good looking. He sings. He... <laughs> or, well, well, that may be true, but... <laughs> or it may not be, but... You need every other... This is a group endeavor, guys. And you are needed. And you are, you are an essential part of it. Would you stand with me? Would those who are going to uh, pray with people come forward at this time? And if you need something from the Lord, if you need healing... It's not like God goes, you know, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal Ernie because... He's an elder, and he's a real special guy. Uh, he's no respecter of persons. That's what the scripture says. So if you, if you need healing, you come. Obviously, God heals. If, whatever the need may be in your life, uh, God is here. The king is among us. If you don't need to come, worship with us for a few minutes, because somebody does need to come and Your worship will help create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit.